0: Wall Street doesn't want this company public. The various parts of it don't make sense. It throws off a fair amount of cash, but the assets that are already strung together don't seem coherent. And this is his baby and he wants to manage it and he's the one and only guy in the world who can do it. Let him do it privately.
1: Welcome to the powers that be daily. Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, October 30th, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly and I talk about the prospect of Ari Emanuel's endeavor going private after the company went public just a few years ago. And we discuss some newly released data about Elon Musk's Twitter showing an ugly decline in user engagement since Musk took over the platform. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode, The Powers That Be. dot m e slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy monday everybody welcome to the powers that be if it's monday it's media monday of course i'm joined by john kelly who is in the halloween wonderland of montclair new jersey <laughs> <laughs> big day tomorrow trick-or-treating there i'm interested to see uh, and hear what sean mills uh, and gabrielle are giving out this year what is your favorite Halloween candy, John?
0: Uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. We're actually going to Sean and Gabrielle's tonight, so I'll uh, I'll text you the answer <laughs> immediately. But I probably gained five pounds just from the three or four satchels of candies sitting in my kitchen, <laughs> um, just waiting to you know to see if we can even make it to Halloween. I I hate this time of year.
1: Uh, we are so opposite. I love Halloween. I'm also curious what the worst. Uh, trick-or-treat handout is. I don't know if, like, when we were kids, like, there were still old-timers that lived in our mm-hmm. neighborhoods that would give out, like, raisins and apples and may they rest in peace, but screw those people. <laughs> Whoever you are. I hope no one's giving up uh, healthy snacks this year for Halloween. Embrace the sweets. The apple slices were,
0: were, were definitely the worst of our generation, right? The sun-made raisins. God, what a terrible thing to do. <laughs> do you, um, this actually is a, a, a legit question. Do you like Almond Joy and Mounds?
1: Uh, I do. It's weird. I do. I'm more of a chocolate guy than like sour gummy type, but I do. I do. It's a weird consistency. I don't eat them ever. But if it's like there's a bowl of Halloween candy somewhere and there's a mounds like sitting in there, I will grab a mini mounds and eat it. But... I can't, I don't think I've had one in like a couple of years.
0: You're a fucking psycho. Only, <laughs> only crazy people eat mounds and almond joy that it goes right into the garbage. They're literally still distributing mounds and almond joy in New Jersey from like 1987 when we were kids doing this.
1: Yeah. I would read a whole oral history about how almond joy produced that perfect almond, single almond lump right in the middle of that candy bar. Uh, it's like world war two ingenuity right there. Um, John, I want to ask you about a piece that Matt filed on Friday about Endeavor. We were chatting before the podcast, and basically the gist of the piece is Endeavor might sell itself. Explain what that means to our listeners, but also like what is Endeavor to the, uh, you know, people on the East Coast who might not understand the byways of Hollywood. Sure, Endeavor is the entity of media assets
0: Run by Ari Emanuel, including WME, which represents Puck. I I bring that up as a disclosure. It also owns UFC, the Dana White cage fighting business, which is obviously a a huge media rights opportunity these days. I think Endeavor and Emanuel were early in seeing how live rights um, would be increasingly valuable in a a new streaming ecosystem. It owns professional bull riding, which it gets a lot of crap for. It owns uh, events businesses like On Location. I think it owns uh, speaking agencies. It's in the nexus of the live entertainment space. And Ari Emanuel has basically been rolling it together with Patrick Weitzel for years and years and years. It recently bought WWE in a a take private that's being spun as a company called TKO, which is now going to be a public entity that it majority owns and controls. So it's a large media portfolio of live and representation assets, and Ari Probably both in search of empire building and liquidity, tried to take this entity public. I think he tried before COVID. And they delayed it. No. The public markets have had a hard time understanding this company because, for a number of reasons, and this is not investment advice, they felt like these assets didn't entirely align together. There were not obvious synergies in the way that say there would be from Warner Brothers Discovery, right? Like these were, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the time Warner assets, like the, 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 these were kind of Olympic rings, they, they could, benefit one another you could see how talent agents could be useful to ufc and ufc could be you know useful to the location and marketing businesses but it wasn't obviously um one coherent thing anyway it didn't go public the first time eventually it went public in april of 2021 they raised about 500 million and ipo was priced at like 24 a share and valued endeavor at 10.3 billion I- know that hardcore puck fans will remember that our partner Bill Cohan has written for years, and this is not investment advice also, that he thought that this grab bag of assets never made sense as a as a public company. And he was um, critical of this and, and Bill actually has a great piece that we published yesterday that explains you know some details adjacent to, to Matt's story about what went wrong here. So anyway, lo and behold Endeavor has now seen better days, That the stock has gone down significantly, even after the WWE deal, which I think um, was an attempt to sort of boost the markets, uh, presumably to, to, to give Wall Street analysts what they wanted in the form of a new asset that would reap high that, uh, extraordinary media rights fees. Endeavor is now worth. I think I just checked this before we got on the air. Uh, it's less than seven billion dollars. So the combined entity of Endeavor is worth less than the value of CAA. Okay, which is one talent agency mm-hmm. that is the probably the equivalent, of, certainly larger by revenue and, and maybe prestige, but in some ways, but the equivalent of WME. So Ari Emanuel is thinking to himself, "What is going on here? The public markets don't understand the, the value that I've created." And he's taking this company private, or he's, he's open to considering taking it private. Silver Lake, which owns about 71% of Endeavor, soon after announced that they'd be willing to explore this take private opportunity. Mm-hmm. You, know, you could argue that it seems like uh, the, the natural course of things that a company that isn't returning to shareholders what they want would would rather be managed privately, which is frankly how a lot of entertainment, you know, which is how talent agencies have been managed for a very long time, which is the core of the business. And, and, you know, these other uh, small leagues have been private companies as well uh, and, and were managed well without the screen public shareholders. So you could argue that there's a, a sort of fiscal strategy behind that. But there is also a, another way of looking at this, Peter, which is that it's somewhat uh, cynical <laughs> and maybe uh, a little opportunistic and it's a chance mm-hmm. for Ari and Patrick Weitzel to get another bite of the apple. They've each made, you know, 100-plus million-dollar slugs, I think, yeah. in in the uh, IPO of Endeavor, and this would be a chance to cash out again by taking it private and putting it in the arms of Egon Durbin, who's already, I think, the chairman of the board, and like, who've been the custodian of this when it was a private company, were, stayed involved, and it was public, and would be the, it looks like, potentially, this, this single owner, not just the controlling majority owner, but the single owner in a private scenario. So um, it could be an
1: elaborate wealth creation vehicle for, for Ari. I was going to ask you like who the winners and losers of taking Endeavor Private would be, but <laughs> you're suggesting Ari would be winner and then winner again. Who would be the losers here?
0: Yeah, he'd be the big winner. Look, the stock popped like twenty percent after they announced this. So Endeavor stockholders who bought at the IPO when it was trading at like twenty four dollars a share and and it was around you know ten billion as we were saying ten point three, if they've been holding on to it now that it's down to six nine and it, and if it pops again you know as this deal ossifies, they'd still lose their money. So it's hard to see how that works out. You know, if you remember when this was all going down the first time, there were a lot of really angry agents at WME who deferred bonuses and pay hikes for years because they were told that the company was going to go public and their equity was going to go up astronomically in value. I remember talking to some of these people privately when I was a private citizen, not not in, uh, in any relationship with Puck. And it just didn't happen. And- it, it actually is sort of presage is something that I think is part of the Soto conversation at CAA now where a number of agents, hundreds of agents, hundreds of employees are expecting a check and they don't know how big the check is going to be. And, you know, past isn't always prologue. But the equity holders at WME did not do as well as they were hoping. I think that in many cases, they were hoping for an IPO to pop and that they'd make double what they made. Ari and Patrick had to make up for that quickly. I think they tucked people in and took care of them. In this new take private scenario, it's going to be hard to see how these employees, if they kept their options in the market, how they would do well. I think they'd, they'd be underwater on it, but at least it would give them a chance to to, to fully cash them out if they wanted the liquidity. Um, mm-hmm. But there is a cynical point of view here that, that this makes the most sense for Ari, but My overarching perspective is that I actually don't really think he has a choice here. I think that Wall Street doesn't want this company public. The various parts of it don't make sense. It throws off a fair amount of cash, but the assets that are already strung together don't seem coherent. And this is his baby, and he wants to manage it, and he's the one and only guy in the world who can do it. Let him do it privately. Everyone may do better than...
1: John, I wanna take a quick break Uh, before we go to break. Shout out to producer Bob for pointing out that another terrible trick or treat item, pennies. People used to give out pennies at Halloween and that is accurate, I can confirm, for Gen Z. That did happen and it was terrible. Uh, (laughs) When we come back, I wanna ask you about the slow death of Twitter slash X. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com powers that be, netsuite.com powers that be. That's netsuite.com powers that be.
2: Selling a little or a lot.
1: Welcome back to the powers that be everybody. It's Media Monday. Our friend Sarah Fisher over at Axios last week got some data provided to her from Sensor Tower about X slash Twitter and how much it's basically gone to shit in the year 2023. Just some stats here. App downloads for Twitter X fell roughly 38% between October 2022 and September 2023. So over the last year, I... Well, caveat, I don't think app downloads for Twitter specifically represent the Grim Reaper. People haven't been really downloading Twitter for a pretty long time. It's been flat. It's been around for a very long time. But usage has gone down. Monthly active Android users fell by a few percentage points. Average time spent fell. This was the red flag for me. User churn or users who stopped using the app increased more than 30% year over year. That's really bad for Elon Musk's X app These stats are coming to us from outside analyst groups because they're a privately held company now. We don't have earnings calls where we get to have a window into how poorly Twitter is doing. But it's clear that this company is in trouble. I want to get into what that means maybe for Threads, its rival in a moment. But what's your take on this? I mean, all of it checks out to me, John. What about you?
0: Yeah, I read that in Axios. And I thought of that Hemingway line about bankruptcy, you know, how it happened gradually and then all at once and kind of va you know, th- there it is. And you're right, Peter. Downloads are probably atrophying regardless, right? They're everyone. Who is going to download X has downloaded X. So I'm not surprised to to see that. Maybe, right. maybe there are a couple of proud boys, you know, who had their their phone stolen, needed to <laughs> needed to, to download it again or something like that. But doesn't that information confirm what you sort of? just see anecdotally in the world. I mean, we, we've talked in the show plenty about how the experience of X, just, despite the, the locked cage that Linda Yaccarino seems to be living in as she as she operates the company, the, the experience is terrible. You, it's hard to get timely information. It's deteriorating, and Musk sort of seems lost in it. You know, there was a zealotry in the, in the early days, almost like the early days of the Trump administration, where they were just trying to show they were doing things, signing executive orders, bringing sinks into the office. You know, this, this all comes on the anniversary of his, purchase of Twitter, right? So this, so we're sort of, you know, we're we're all thinking wistfully or, or nostalgically about what we've all gone through as a culture here. But it doesn't seem like he's actually had real ideas for what to do with this. I know that they changed the name thinking it's gonna be an, an all for one, one for all commerce content play together, but there are no other inklings that they're doing that, you know, besides Tucker
1: Carlson. They're launching, uh, John, sorry to interrupt, they they announced this week, or at least I got, like, some beta announcement or some push alert that they're doing uh, audio and video calls on Twitter now, which is sounds like a recipe for... Disaster. Yeah, great uh, idea. Something that nobody wants. Recipe for more harassment, maybe. Sounds
0: like the uh, Ron DeSantis uh, Twitter spaces that they did that apparently <laughs> they thought crashed the internet and just instead crashed Ron DeSantis's campaign. Um, no, this, this sort of verified two, two things that I think we, we both think as, like, you know, guys who remind each other that we're getting older every day, which is that... Social media is going away in, in, in a lot of ways, and, and I don't want to be like the the naysayer too early on TikTok, but I, I think that TikTok will settle into something. You know, so, Social media is becoming older. It's becoming cable, right? It's becoming a, a steady, solid business. We're already talking about Meta's earning reports and how they're going to uh, – they did better than we thought, and, and they're going to have to spend a lot next year to keep it going because we're not in this area of, of rapid growth. Anymore, you know, Twitter's declining. We, we can see AI on the horizon as the next big platform that we're looking at here. And you know, you and Dylan had a great conversation about Jeff Bezos at the post the other day. And the thing that stuck with me, I think that you guys talked about this on on Media Thursday. And you were talking about how like Bezos, he's busy, and he basically puts in you know forty eight or seventy two hours of deep engagement at the post, and then goes back to his rocket ship and, and deals with the rest of his empire. But that's how he sort of engages, and I think we're seeing something similar with, with Elon Musk here, actually, which is that he's signaled early on that he was going to be in this thing. It doesn't seem like he is in this now. If he did devote his mental capacity to it, then yes, he'd figure something out. Whether you and I liked it, debatable, but he'd be much more engaged, in the, and there'd be much more upside here. It seems like he himself is sort of run out of tricks, and that's the scary part to me.
1: Don't forget, he tried to get out of this deal Yeah, once he bought it. I'm like, he knows this thing isn't great, wasn't before he bought it. And clearly his attention is, is elsewhere. I mean, this is like a, it just feels like a hobby his friends sort of like, you know, on their group chat, like pressured in to do is like a gag. <laughs> like, dude, save free speech, go by Twitter. Doesn't it seem fuck. like it was, it was a
0: dare that he took at four in the morning after yeah. like uh two forties of OE. I mean, this was absolutely like a, a, a crazy thing that he knew was a mistake. The minute he did it. I mean, you just, you yeah. know, don't drive the car. Like don't, you know, mm-hmm. don't turn the key. So,
1: yes. Well, so I want to elaborate a little bit on your point that social media is dying. I, I slightly disagree. There's, I think like the broadcast public likes and comments, public connection era of social media is coming to an end. The social media that is growing and thriving are sort of one-to-one personal connections, group chats, uh, just sort of a sort of private fun experience. And I sound like I'm flacking for my other employer Snapchat here, but the Wall Street Journal basically in writing about the decline of X published a bunch of infographics that were really, really good. And they, they had one that said daily active users, by the way, daily active users is the mother's milk of social media apps. People who go on every day, people you can advertise to DAU on mobile apps globally changed from October, 2022. Snapchat is above Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, and way above Twitter. So Snapchat among those is the fastest growing app above Instagram, above TikTok, which is declining above YouTube, above Facebook over the last few years. And we announced on our earnings call the other day, we have over 400 million daily active users now. We've doubled our user base in three years. And that just signals, again, I'm biased here, but it signals the growth trajectory of that kind of social media versus the you know post to the world version of social media that X represents. I also want to talk about this in the context of Threads, which is Meta's, Twitter rival that launched her this year, Casey Newton, who writes a newsletter that's really good called Platformer, wrote this week, Twitter is dead and Threads is thriving. Mm. Um, you know you know my take on Threads. I, uh, I don't quite get the reason for it other than reporters and anti-Elon Musk people who are rooting for it. Obviously, it, it, it is a less toxic network right now. But you know, I think there's been some credulousness in the coverage of, of Threads from the aforementioned reporters because Mark Zuckerberg said on their earnings call last week that they have 100 million monthly active users. Okay, so people who downloaded Threads when it came out because it was sort of growth hacked and attached to Instagram, so everyone sort of downloaded Threads. But there was some other data from Sensor Tower just a few months ago that said Threads only has 8 million daily active users every day, which is very, very small. And so there's kind of a delta between like, the hype around threads and the people rooting for threads and people just being like, Oh, I think I picked up more followers this week. We actually don't know how many people yeah. are using threads. And so, you know, yes, Twitter X is declining. The getting rid of verification was disaster. Renaming it was a disaster. There's just so many like reasons people are leaving the app, but I don't think there's a ton of evidence that threads is actually like thriving. I mean, it's just not part of a lot of people, normal people's, daily social media diet, but I'm curious what you think.
0: Well, you're you're right to stick in your lane and, and hold your position as, as an early threads denier. <laughs> uh, and I'm with you. I, I saw that Casey story too pop into my inbox and I'll kind of believe it when I see it. But just to go back one beat, I agree with you on the social media point. Let me just clarify one detail, which is I, I think that we're seeing with these social media companies what we're sort of seeing with streaming now, which is that the, the illusion of endless growth has led to an era where there's a finite number of competitors and they're probably going to start looking for new revenue channels because they, they don't have infinite TAMs. And, mm-hmm. and in the case of Twitter X, actually, it you know, the company was flatlining forever. Like even when Dick Costello was the CEO of Twitter oh, it, yeah. it couldn't get past like 300 and something million, uh, I guess, DAU and they had server outages. I mean, there are all kinds of challenges that, um, that the company's had for a very, very long time. And and now it's shrinking. That just, there isn't room for everything in the firmament. And we see that with the streaming landscape as we go from cable, uh, and linear to, to post linear and streaming. But, Facebook can cook the numbers like no one else, man. I mean, it's impossible to know if, if that's real or not. The one, Right, exactly. The one thing that I'm a little skeptical about is the fact that Threads has not been commercialized yet. Hmm. The, the, the minute Instagram took off after Facebook had acquired it, you knew it was working because all of a sudden... You were being served a bajillion ads, which was the sort of obviously the secret sauce of Facebook. And Threads is a still, still a pretty pure experience. And I wonder yeah. if that is because the company is not in a position where it wants to release the information to advertisers yet because it has to be fairly transparent That's exactly with them.
1: what it is. They, would be, they bragged about it very much when everyone downloaded it out of the gate outside of an earnings call. Uh, And now they're being cautious and tepid about it. And by the way, as a journalist, especially like covering tech platforms, like you can rely on what these companies tell you, but you can also rely on the anecdote of your everyday life. Are your friends and your family using this app? My friends are because they work in politics and media and tech and people I follow, but no one outside of that bubble is. And I think that's sort of a, just a little bit of a cautionary flag.
0: I'm with you. You'll know Threads is working when you start to see uh, puck subscription ads on Threads. That's when you can know it's a it's a it's a true believer.
1: Yeah, and Adam Assari, who runs the product development for Threads, has, has repeatedly uh, dodged and avoided the question of like how much they're going to embrace like news and politics over there, which is a vague question, obviously. But they're not. They don't seem very interested in it. They don't because that means, you know, that means you have to. Do a lot more content moderation you have to put a lot more safeguards in place you have to do just issue new like standards and practices all the time as people rush into your app posting things that might be hate speech might be fake news and they they saw those headaches with facebook and so they're very cautious about uh, embracing news <laughs> But let's hope, though,
0: right? I'm actually like, I, I take the other side of the argument. I mean, we've had this in conversation in, in meetings at Puck about what Google or Facebook Meta are doing with, with news. I'm very pro the point of view that these platforms should be news-free spaces in a lot of ways. Like, let people go to news sources for news, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, man. That that made the most
0: sense. That's how the world didn't fall apart for a couple hundred years before we were in short pants, and I think that that's where we're going back to. You know, don't let crazy Aunt Doris post some, you know, wacko stuff on X. Like, if you want news, go to a place where you can trust it.
1: Yeah, the the last thing I'll leave you on is a thought from my my friend, Scott Conroy, who I mentioned a lot on this podcast because he's got good thoughts. He's like, everyone's lamenting the end of Twitter and X is like, the death of the global town square. And Scott's take is, did we need a global town square in the first place? Like there are some, you know, positive aspects to social media, but there was a great book that came out like in 2016, 2017 by uh, Zeynep Tufekci called Twitter and Tear Gas and the, the subhead of the book was called the power and fragility of networked protest. And like obviously like the signal moment for the positive side of a, a network like Twitter was like the Arab Spring. It allowed activists and you know people to connect and push back against an oppressive government. The point she makes in the book though is that she goes back and compares it to the civil rights movement in the south in the in the 60s and the power of that movement was that it was forged in like church basements and people over coffee and, and and drinks. And there was a real social cohesion to that movement, which led to its durability, the right. real life personal connections of a movement. And she makes the point that like lots of the Twitter protest movements of the early 2010s actually collapsed very quickly because the social cohesion was very thin. It was easy to, puncture and snuff out these movements because they weren't powerful real life connections. And so anyway, there are, you know, for all of the hype around the connected world of a decade ago, um, there's a lot of holes to poke in those theories as well. John, if I don't talk to you, good luck trick-or-treating. All right. Thanks, man. I'll I'll have you in mind. I'll send you all my almond joy. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be, As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The powers that be daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.